0: Good morning. It is Friday, July the first, twenty twenty two. It's July. I know. I know. You're saying to yourself, it's it's already July. Yes, it's already July. And like uh sitting in Miss Kuhn's classroom at Dale Mabry Elementary School in the fourth grade, uh it is the countdown to recess. I I loved school. I loved elementary school, um, which we could we could actually talk a lot about because I mean, apparently, um, I was not aware, like uh, particularly aware of uh, of the bullying that was going on, and I thought it was a privilege to get to stay in Miss Chestnut's classroom for lunch. <laughs> I know, I know. I've been I've been a little off for a really long time. Like we could go back at least a, at least to third grade, but but I digress. So in fourth grade, I um I was going to go to a private school. Um, apparently, because of the negative experiences that i didn't even fully realize that i was being exposed to in the 3rd grade um and i was going to go to a private school um and my parents were you know obviously making great sacrifices to make that possible um and then and then there was the issue of the uniform and in particular the saddle shoes do you remember those black and white like saddle shoes um that was apparently the line beyond which i was not willing to go and so um I didn't go to private school in the 4th grade and I ended up in Miss Cune's class. Now, I I did not have a particularly positive relationship with Miss Cune. Miss Chestnut in 3rd grade, yes. Miss Mabry in 5th grade, yes. Miss Cune in 4th grade, not so much. Uh, and so in Miss Kuhn's classroom, um I remember the countdown to recess. The watching of the clock, the countdown to recess. Well, the Supreme Court of the United States has been doing a little bit of a countdown to recess and recess for the Supreme Court has now arrived. Now, they're going to take a long recess. They're not coming back until October. But um, yesterday was the final day of the term for the United States Supreme Court. Court issued several rulings. Uh, Justice Breyer, formally retired, Uh, Katanji Brown Jackson was sworn in and she is now the first American first African-American woman to serve on the nation's highest court. So it's a big day prior to recess. The court ruled in favor of the Biden administration, allowing the so-called remain in Mexico policy, requiring asylum seekers to wait on the southern side of the U.S. border for their hearing date prior to entering the United States. Um, So that is no longer in effect and uh, an additional surge of people seeking legal entry into the United States through the asylum process is now expected. The court ruled against the Biden administration in a case involving the EPA. And we could get down into the weeds of that ruling, but I think that what's most important about it is that that particular decision has implications far beyond the EPA, far beyond greenhouse gas emissions and carbon capture and all of that. Um, The nation's uh, highest court, Reminds us in this ruling that not only the EPA, but other non-elected administrative agencies of of the government um, are not legislative. They don't have the power to create law. And so the court ruled that the administrative state is constrained by the express limits of the laws that are passed by Congress. Uh, and the administrative state is not rightly in a position to make regula- regulations that function as laws in the lives of the American people. So it's a really significant ruling yesterday on that front. Um, a couple of stories caught my attention at the intersection of privacy and the internet. Uh, one in particular here that I'll highlight before Bruce Ashford comes on to join us this morning. The California Department of Justice has confirmed um, a data breach on Wednesday. It re- this data breach revealed the names, addresses, date of birth, gender, race, driver's license number, and criminal history for thousands of people. Who were granted or denied concealed carry permits between 2011 and 2021? Ten years worth of California's um, records in relationship to people who sought uh, concealed carry permits and whether or not those permits were granted. Which means that former abusers, ex, uh, you know, exes who people were seeking a concealed carry permit because they were afraid of all of that information was made public, and the breach followed. You know, what the state is saying was an update to its firearms dashboard portal. But nonetheless, it put a lot of legal gun owners at risk and it put at risk those who were not granted concealed carry permits in California. Um, You know, there's a credible threat against uh, against people. And part of the reason people want to have a concealed carry permit is to protect themselves. Um, And so in addition to regular folks who might have sought concealed carry permits, The database also revealed information about four hundred and twenty reserve officers and two hundred and forty four judges across the state of California. Um, And so, you know, it just doesn't pretend well for the future. And so um, I just want to be praying a hedge of protection around these individuals. And um, I don't know, maybe blinders upon the eyes of those who would seek to do them harm. Uh, Lots going on in the world and part of what's going on in the world is that we don't always understand what's going on in the world. Um, I think that's because we live in a pretty disorienting time. Um, we are people as Christians, um, people operating out of a Christian worldview. We, we actually operate out of kind of a medieval mindset, um, not even a modern mindset. And yet we live in a world dominated by postmodern thought. And so what does that mean? We're going to talk with Dr. Bruce Ashford about the world in which we live and the worldview of the people uh, who inhabit it alongside us every day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Joining us now, Dr. Bruce Ashford. Um, you can find Bruce and what we're talking about today at bruceashford.net. Good morning, sir. Good
1: morning. How are you doing, Carmen? I
0: am, I am I am. well. It is well with my soul. It's hot. It's toasty where I live. I'd like to have some rain, but that's uh, those are weather prayers, and we could get to those later. I'd love for you to um, take us into this piece that you have posted at your website, bruceashford.com. Um, just about these FAQs about postmodernism and American politics. I I think that many of us have premodern thinking. And when I say that, I don't mean that we're, you know, knuckle knuckle draggers. I mean, we believe that God is and God is real and we see everything through that lens. But that is not the modern worldview. It's certainly not the postmodern worldview. So talk with us about postmodernism and American politics.
1: Yes, you know the the uh, term postmodernism is almost never used on Fox News or CNN or um, it, you know in any of our political conversations. But postmodernism is a phenomenon that that um, that underlies. It's kind of the deep current underneath a lot of things you have heard about, such as queer theory, critical race theory, uh, and and things like this. So postmodernism is a um, it's a way of thinking that can um that can be boiled down to a few really important uh features so we'll talk a little bit about um postmodernism as a way of thinking and then we'll talk a little bit about how it's infected our politics so a postmodern person is very skeptical about whether or not we can know the truth or whether or not truth even exists there's no such thing as the truth there's only your truth and my truth and so because of that postmodern people believe it or not are skeptical that scientists can gain truth They're skeptical that medical science can claim truth. They're skeptical of anything like that. Um, And so what they prefer instead is for people to speak from their experience and from their emotion. Now, so that's kind of radical enough. But they go even further and they see things like this. Even things that human beings have believed for thousands of years to be true, universally believed to be true, are not actually true. For example, there's really no such thing as male versus female. These are traditional traditional categories but they're not really factual um, they're radically skeptical of the individual in other words they're not really concerned about individual rights they're concerned about group rights identity groups because if there's no such thing as truth um then the only thing you have is different ways of seeing the truth, which and then they break that down along the lines of different identity groups. Black people see it one way, white people see it another way, old people see it one way, young people see it another, women see it one way, men see it another. So this is kind of a, a um a quick summary of postmodernism as a as a as a general way of thinking.
0: Okay. So I wanna I wanna I wanna use that and then I wanna lift up a mirror to the postmodern culture right now, and I want to say, if, if your viewpoint is correct, and there is no, let's say, traditional category of male and female, then how in the world is it possible that by a decision of the Supreme Court, women are now somehow second-class citizens to men in the United States of America? Like, by their own denial of the category of woman, and the category of of the connection between women and childbearing, the whole debate we're having in the culture about abortion is almost nonsensical. So I, I'd like for you to help us find our footing, um, Bruce. Yeah, I mean, they- we, we live in, we got to take a break, but we live in postmodern water. And I want you to help us swim in it by holding up a mirror of of rational, reasonable, and, and yes, Christian thought to it. So we're talking with Dr. Bruce Ashford. We're talking about postmodernism um, and American politics, and we're going to bring it home here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Well- Back in the day, it might have been um, feminist or womanist studies. Um, it developed into queer theory, critical race theory. Um, now there is a discipline related to fat studies and interdisciplinary field combining perspectives and research methods from the humanities and social sciences. It has nothing to do with whether or not it's healthy or unhealthy to be um, obese. But this builds on a tradition of gender studies and queer studies, focusing attention on the social, cultural, historical and political aspects of the ways in which fatness as a phenomenon and fat people are portrayed and treated. Um, That was new to me in your piece, uh, Bruce. I was not uh, even aware that this was the sort of latest iteration of postmodernism in in college uh, studies across the country or. Um, things that people could actually get a degree in. Talk with us about um, how postmodernism gained a uh in, in the culture in which we live, um, and then help us bring it home onto a particular issue of the day.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, what's going to happen? I'm going to publish a series at, at net, a series of little explainers on postmodern politics, all right? So the thing you need to know about postmodern politics is if they believe there is no such thing as truth, They also believe that any 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 time somebody claims that something is true, um, that they're just trying to assert power and control. They're trying to oppress other people who don't believe their truth. All right. So that's the core feature. You've got to remember it. If there's no such thing as truth then any time somebody claims a truth of some sort, they're trying to assert power to oppress people who don't believe what they believe. And so the different types of postmodern politics are postcolonialism. we'll talk about that another day, intersectionality, critical race theory, queer theory, disability theory, and fat theory. And um, we can go to um, uh, Now, on theory. the flip
0: side, on the flip yep. side, just to be clear, I am a person who is deriving my quote-unquote theories related to each and every one of those um, from Genesis chapter 1. Every single one of those – Um, Well, Genesis one through three. Right. Because I'm going to look at disability. I'm going to look at uh, things that uh, that are bad for the human body. I'm going to look at uh, God's design for human relationships. I'm going to look at what it means to be male and female. And I'm going to look at Genesis one through three for the answers to those questions to lead me to truth. What you are saying is that others are looking in very different places for answers to those questions and they're coming up with answers that are completely disorienting.
1: Yes, and and what I would respond for a postmodern thinker is, Carmen, the the problem is that you're in the majority for white. Uh, You're a white woman, and uh, your way of thinking is determined by the group of people that you grew up around, which is white evangelicals, okay? So you can't think for yourself. Um, Your thinking is determined by your context, and you're trying to assert power over people who don't believe the way you believe, all right? So that's your problem, and we're going to expose how oppressive you are by um, showing that you're, you're, whether you intentionally mean to be oppressive or not, you're trying to oppress people who are not like you. So when it comes, I mean, if you want to see how kind of crazy it gets, in fat studies, which is a type of uh, postmodern uh, theory in politics, they're arguing, there's, there's um, they're, they are not saying, hey, we should be kind to people who are overweight. We should try to find ways to help them be more healthy. We should, not, we should help them feel normal, not make them feel weird. They're not saying that. What they're saying is there's absolutely nothing wrong with being grossly obese. And we don't trust medical science. We think medical science, when it claims to have truths about fatness or obesity, is oppressing people who are not normal, people who are bigger than normal. And, um, and, and so um, same thing in disability studies. They're not saying, hey, we should as society help people who have disabilities. We should make things easier for them. Um, they're, what they're saying is that it's wrong to say that it's normal not to have disabilities and it's abnormal to have disabilities. Because for you to say that... Right, because all all
0: of it is a denial. I mean, ultimately, at the very bottom line here, all of it is a denial that God created everything in a perfect state and that each and every part of that is now in a fallen state. And the further we live uh, and the longer we live from Eden, the increasing... (laughs) the increasing percentage of fallenness becomes evident in in everything and in everyone and all of this is a denial of that
1: yes they're absolutely offended because what we believe is christian is that christians is that there are norms we live in a predetermined world a predefined world not predetermined predefined world where god has given us certain categories such as man and woman and we live in a world where there are norms god created us in his image and likeness and he created us to live and to flourish in a certain kind of manner. And he's given us norms. Um, what, and they're offended by the idea of norms. And they're offended by the idea that we live in a, in a predefined world because postmodern people believe that we should be able to create ourselves, create our own, quote, unquote, truth. Um, <clears throat> and so it, it's uh,
0: – How does a culture function – I mean, I mean, if there's if there's no norms, if there are no norms and if 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 norm creation isn't I mean, how how do you have an educational system? How do you have a system of governments? How do you have laws? I mean, if I say I would really prefer to drive on the left side of the double yellow line and everyone else in the culture has mutually agreed they're going to drive on the right side of the double yellow line, like I I create a real risk, not only for myself, but for everybody else if I'm not willing to live within the norms.
1: Well, no society ever, ever, anywhere in history has experimented experiment with something like this. So we don't know how it's going to play out, but it's not going to be good. God, to I can tell you how it's going
0: to play out. I mean, I'm not even different. like particularly prophetic, but I, I can pretty <clears throat> well tell you how that's going to work itself out.
1: Yeah, it's the opposite of cognitive behavioral therapy. Cogn- cognitive mm. behavioral therapy helps people um, to take the problems that they're dealing with and uh, to find good ways of thinking, good ways of acting that help them to deal with it. What postmodern theory does is says, don't deal with your problems, um, you know, have a grievance over them. Mm. If, if you, you know, if, if you um, if you don't like society's norms, then I blame society. And that's really oh my gosh, what's be...
2: And so, so the whole Bruce... LGBT,
1: LGBTQ agenda is deeply incoherent. The lesbian and gay agenda Mm-hmm. is very different from the uh, transgender agenda. The transgender agenda says that there are no such categories as male and female, whereas um, the, the, the lesbian and gay agenda and feminism actually believe that gender matters. So mm-hmm. it's a deeply incoherent coalition of people um, who, um, who, who reject absolute truth and who um, uh, have collective grievances. And they're willing to – and they're not embarrassed by the fact that they contradict each other. So we're not going to so, embarrass them when we show them that their different views contradict each other. They don't care.
0: All right, this is a completely different conversation, and I know we don't have time to thoroughly have it. But I thought of you yesterday when I heard a sound clip of uh, Hillary Clinton commenting on um, Justice Clarence Thomas. And instead of commenting on – Um, something that he had said and making some actual comment about that, she committed what you have taught us is a logical fallacy. And she just completely personally attacked him. I mean, it was this, I mean, I know the word ad hominem. I mean, it was, but you've taught us that. And so let me encourage, um, if you're listening right now and you're like, "I, I heard that and I hear people, instead of having the conversation that, you know, answering the question they've been asked or having the conversation that's before them. Instead, they just attack the person. Um, Bruce Ashford does a really great job teaching us about and walking us through um, all of the categories of logical fallacy that people commit in conversations today. So check that out at bruceashford.net and 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 dig into this conversation about postmodernism and American politics. Bruce, as always, um, thank you so much. Bruce also has a really excellent piece Um, on Chuck Colson and the Watergate scandal at 50. Um, So don't miss that as well. Bruceashford.net. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We'll be right back. All right. um, When people attack other people, instead of dealing with the subject matter that is before us, you should take pause. You should take note and you should take pause and you should ask. You should ask, um, hey, why are you attacking the person instead of answering the question or dealing with the issue that we're still talking about. Let's get back to the topic of conversation. Um, Let's not be, you know, let's not be attacking one another. Now, part of that is going to require that you and I remain non-defensive. Right? You and I are going to have to remain non-defensive in the conversations that are swirling around us and the conversations in which we are directly engaged. So let me encourage you this morning to be uh, thinking about People in your life who tend to go on the personal attack, and if you are like that, um, that's a conversation to have in the mirror today. Like, right, I'm not going to personally attack people. I'm not going to commit uh, any of these logical fallacies, including ad hominem attacks where you just attack the individual because you're not particularly well-equipped to talk about the topic or the issue. Better to remain silent than to expose our ignorance about something um, by attacking another person. So want to be equipped for the conversations of the day. We want to be developing and adopting the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. So we're going to take a look at some worldview conversations. Our friend Dan DeWitt will be back next. What is the lens through which you're looking at the world? Like, can you actually see your worldview? Like, can you, if you step back for a minute and, and I ask you, like, what are you thinking about? And then how are you thinking about what you're thinking about? What's the lens? What's the filter through which you are understanding the world and making sense of things? I can, I can tell you mine, you know, mine is this gospel redemptive worldview revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments by the God who is. What's your worldview? Are you able to articulate it and point to it and describe it? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We do all want to change the world, and we want to change it through Christ who came to redeem it and make it all new. Dan DeWitt is joining us now. You can find what we're talking about today at Theolatte.com. Hey, Dan. Happy summer.
2: Good, good morning. What's lacking?
0: Yeah, exactly, right? I don't know. <laughs> the heat, the, the weather, the, the earth is lacking. where I live. We could use some rain. Um, hey, you have a life update. It's I the 1st of July. Do you want to share your life update?
2: Yeah, so I'm so excited. um, A dear friend of mine became president of Southwest Baptist University SBU that's located in Bolivar, Missouri, about a year ago, and um, he scheduled me to speak out there at the very end of their semester. I went out there to speak. Uh, He knows I don't want to move my family for a number of reasons, mainly we just love the community we're in, our church, the kids' school, and we live near family. So I got up to speak for an evening event and he said, um, thanks for doing this. And I told him, you know, I would do this anytime I, you know, I was teaching on CS Lewis. So, you know, you don't have to thank me. And, um, I said, anytime you want to fly me out, I'm happy to come. And he said, well, how about, how about once a month? And Carmen, I literally like shoved him the (laughs) president because I've known him for a while. And I said, shut up, Rick, just shut up. Like, yeah, I'm, Don't mess with me. So I got up to speak, and he wrote out a job description that's based on me being remote, flying there once a month, developing an online program and an on-campus program. And then finally, to cap it all off, I'm leading teaching my C.S. Lewis class in England every single summer now.
0: Which is so cool. Yes.
2: I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's just so cool.
0: All right. It's just fun. It's fun, and I wanted to give you the opportunity to share that um, with everyone because people delight in – in the good news that's happening in the lives of one another. So thanks for sharing that. Um, All right. You've got some really great don'ts uh, posted right now at Theolatte.com. Ones, don't be tone deaf. There's another one, don't miss the worldview. Let's start with don't miss the worldview. What are you advocating for here?
2: Well, you know, I I think what I want to say in in both these pieces is in a lot of ways related to the, the current conversation around the Supreme Court decision. And what I want to encourage people with is as they're engaged in conversations with others to do what you just talked about in the last segment, to ask why and to try to understand what are the reasons that go beneath this. And so I point back to a speech, a famous speech that I I regularly return to, and it's Dorothy Sayers' creator chaos. So it's a speech she gave right after Hitler, shortly after Hitler invaded Poland. But before he started bombing um London. And so it was the it was prior to um, the explosion of World War II. And Dorothy Sayers is talking to her fellow fellow countrymen and women and warning them that they really weren't understanding what was going on. And so she essentially said, Some of you think that Hitler is being naughty, that he's doing something that he believes to be wrong, and he's doing it anyways. And Dorothy Sayer said, that's not the case. What's going on is that Hitler actually has an entirely different value system, and Hitler's doing what he thinks is right and noble and beautiful. And I I bring this up because I think sometimes we make assumptions about our neighbors who have different takes on issues like the Supreme Court ruling, and we make the assumption that they're doing what they know to be evil. And Sayers said, no, what you need to look at is the deeper commitments, that this is a divide between basic fundamental convictions. And if I could read, Carmen, if you want me to hold off on it, but I'd love to read just one paragraph from this prophetic speech. So here's the statement. Awesome. So, um, and it's so timely for us. So here's the quote from Dorothy Sayers. Again, this is, she's warning people, and it's prior to the, the start of World War II. Dorothy Sayers said, the people who say this is a war of economics or of power politics are only dabbling about on the surface of things. Even those who say it is a war to preserve freedom and justice and faith have gone only halfway to the truth. The real question is what economics and politics are to be used for, whether freedom and justice and faith have any right to be considered at all. At bottom, it is a violent and irreconcilable quarrel about the nature of God and the nature of man and the ultimate nature of the universe. It is a war of dogma. End quote.
0: A war of dogma, which reminds us that we need to um, talk about the meaning of words. So what does the word dogma mean? I mean, I think that the probably the most contemporary quote that rings in all of our Minds is a question posed to then um, uh, a candidate to serve on the Supreme Court when um, uh, when she was asked, you know, about her religious views, and that you know your dogma lives loudly within you, right? Hmm. (laughs) As if that's a criticism. Um, Yeah. uh, So talk with us about dogma. What what is dogma?
2: Well, for everyone listening, dogma has nothing to do with dogs. So we'll start there. <laughs> it's
0: not your dog's mom.
2: <laughs> that's right. That is your That is mom. however
0: a character in among the stories I tell my grandchildren, Dog, D O G, uh because D O G is the name of the dog. He has a little he, anyway, he thinks he's god because so he sees awesome. the reflection of his little name tag and anyway, and then he that's has awesome. a he has a maw and so she is dog Dogma. Anyway, in did my you, family Did you make this up? Do, yes, these are characters in my in my, I don't ever know that it will be a forthcoming children's series, Carmen, but it's the stories I tell my this. grandchildren. Oh my gosh, oh it's my so much goodness. fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do- a chil- dog, a D-O-G. Book series yes, been- D O G. Yes. D O G is, um, he's confused about his identity because every time he looks in his bowl of water, he sees on his tag, it's a reflection, like, right? And it says G O D. And so he thinks he's God. And so everybody's dealing with dog who thinks he's God. But um, then dog <laughs> has a ma, and she's dogma. Anyway, that's there you
2: awesome. Go. Well, dogma. What is dogma?
0: Yeah, what is dogma in real life, not in Carmen's fantasy world?
2: (laughs) I think we are, you know, shaping the narrative. I'm going to illustrate it, you're going to write it, and everybody (laughs) needs to buy thousands of copies. So we'll just leave it there. Um, so, um, So dogma, it really is a form of just of how we organize our thoughts around the Bible. So dogmatics is is a synonymous term in many ways. It's used today as a synonym for systematic theology. And so it's just a way that we organize our thoughts about God in particular. And so what Dorothy Sayers is saying here is that the, your view of God and your view of what it means to be human and your view of what the universe is and what it exists for is your dogma. And so when someone says to another person, oh, you're being dogmatic or something like that. Every person has a core belief about the world around them. And what Sayer said, she said, the worst thing Christians could do right now is to try and dilute what we believe in an attempt to try and build common ground with others. She said, no, at this crucial time, Hitler knows exactly what he believes. He's not betraying his beliefs. He's living them out. And Mm -hmm. so we need to understand this is not a difference between whether or not we want to do something evil This is a difference on what evil is, and I think that's a helpful way for us to, to, at least to some degree, try to have a charitable conversation with others. Even though we might hate their beliefs, we need to recognize they don't hold their beliefs because they woke up one day and said, I want to embrace the ugliest view of the world possible. They actually have certain beliefs that they see as beautiful and good. That's their dogma, and Dorothy Sayers is right. This is a war of dogma and let us as we try to reach out to others ask those why questions and for some time for some people they've not thought deeply about why it is that they believe what they do and maybe that kind of conversation might be the start of a new way of seeing the world
0: see that is so helpful why do you believe what you believe what do you believe Um, that is your dogma um, and then an opportunity to talk about words that arise in conversation. Um, one of those might be evil, which Dan just pointed to. Um, evil comes up a lot in terms of what people point to and acknowledge exists. They look at what happened in Uvalde, Texas. They are able to say that is pure evil. They look at what um, what happened in Buffalo New, Buffalo, New York, and they're able to say that is pure evil um, it's an opportunity for us to say, okay, so you acknowledge that evil is. What is evil? Where does it come from? Um, what is the answer to it? Uh, and those are deeply theological conversations that you and I can have with the people around us. They are operating out of a different worldview, but they don't recognize that. They don't see um, the the worldview, the filter, the lens through which they're operating. And so we're going to help them see the water that they're swimming in by asking them really good questions about words they use. So if you acknowledge that evil is, and you can say this particular thing is evil, what is evil and where does it come from and how um, is it dealt with? And that will lead you to very provocative conversations about what you believe about the reality of evil and how it's dealt with. Yeah, it's a really hard question, but it is answered and it's answerable. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Dan DeWitt here in just a moment. Um, Tone-deaf, what does it mean to hear, and what are the things that you're hearing? Let's not be tone-deaf in the days in which we live. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBerge and this is Faith Radio.
2: Oh, for skies,
0: We're talking with uh, Dan DeWitt about the world in which we live and how we interact in it as believers in this generation, you can find what we're talking about at Theolatte.com. Um, Dan, I'd love for you to uh, describe this interaction in your small group and how it leads us into a conversation about being tone deaf in the culture today.
2: Yeah, you know, these are the the kind of things that if you're just, you know, for me writing and, and you know, preparing the worldview reader, I'm kind of looking for things that I think are uh, illustration or example. Um of some of the things we talk about. And if you're looking for things, sometimes you'll be surprised at how powerful the pictures that come, come to us from other people's stories. And one of our small group members, we have a lot of air force um, people in our small group. In fact, our small group leader is an air force guy um, just because we're by near Wright Pat right, right pat air force base. And uh, this one gentleman, he's um, in the air force and he and his family have a couple daughters who are from Korea originally um, before they were adopted. And he was sharing about how he and his wife have started, have been watching with them, these Korean um, kind of uh, comedy um, slash sitcom. Uh, I guess that's what a sitcom is. So Korean sitcoms. And they, they've they been watching them in as they're recorded with all the actors um, speaking Korean so that their daughters can stay fluent in the language and it helps them as they're learning Korean as well. And of course there are subtitles in English. Well, they've really come to like these shows and he described them as having them being the moral equivalent of like the leave it to beaver show. Um, even though these are made, you know, contempor, co- contemporaneously. Um, so they really like it and they enjoy it with their girls. So on one evening he's home alone And his wife and children are gone. And he decides he's just going to go ahead because he likes them. He's going to watch some of these Korean sitcoms. And he notices there's a feature that will allow you to have um, English uh, dub overs to where, you know, it's the same actors, the same show. But you're hearing English voices. And he thought it might be more enjoyable since he um, has to rely on the subtitles um, normally to the English subtitles. So he's watching it and he said it was awful. And he said it was awful because the the characters, the people doing the the voiceovers, were getting all the words right, but there was no emotion. And he said it just made the whole thing completely wrong. And it made me think about how sometimes as Christians, we do the exact same thing.
0: We get the right words, but we don't speak it with the kind of emotion um, with which it should be spoken.
2: That is absolutely right. And, uh, you know, imagine um, if a th- there are some things that shouldn't be given in, as a memo or spoken through a megaphone to give you a couple <laughs> extremes, you know, and That's so good. If someone's being let go from a job, it, an awful way to know about it, and I guess since I talked about my transition, I was not let go. <laughs> just, just, I'm not, so nobody's listening in. Um, the people at Cedarville have been wonderful and gloriously supportive. So, but hypothetical, somewhere and at some point we probably all have experienced it or will experience it. You're let go from a job. Imagine they tell you simply through a memo. Now, I don't know that a meeting in person will make it a lot better, but it would be more appropriate than just a memo. Now, on the other hand, imagine that you have a um, a really scary disease. Um, you know, there's some news from your doctor that, y- you know, it's what you don't want to hear. And he decides to tell you through a megaphone. I mean, imagine how inappropriate that would be. Mm. And I think that there are times as Christians that we operate in those kind of extremes. We're shouting things through a megaphone that really need to be take place in in the context of a very gentle conversation or we're we're reducing something down to a memo that needs a whole lot more context and so that conversation with this small this member of our small group made me think that often we're getting the lines right we're saying exactly what orthodoxy requires however um to have a meaningful impact in the world. We have to do more than just get the words right. We have to get the tone right, too.
0: So um, my granddaughter, Evelyn, would say "In that you got the, the, the lines in the right places when you drew the picture, but then you colored it with the wrong colors. Yeah. Right? There's this affect. There's this speaking the truth, um, but we are called, commanded, uh, to do it in love. I mean, we don't want to just get the words right. We don't want to just get the theology right. We want to get the affect right. We want to be winsome. We want to be people of woo, um, where we are drawing others in to the redemptive reality um, of God's amazing grace, not re- not repelling people um, from God because we are declaring that God loves you, damn it, like right, I mean
2: <laughs> that's right it's,
0: I mean, yeah, and so, um, I think holding up a mirror is one of the things that I'm learning to do in conversation, simply reflecting back to people what they are saying and asking them questions about it, so if they use a term or a word or make a declaration, I ask a follow up question about that. now, tell me more about that. I'm not sure that I understand that the same way you do i'm I'm pretty sure I don't see that the same way, so help me. So help me see more of what you're talking about, because that reduces the that takes a lot of the heat out of the conversation, um, because in order to go beyond the talking point, they actually have to pause and think. Um, absolutely, and so, absolutely, you know, yeah. and part of this is bringing the temperature down in the conversations of the day.
2: Well, and, you know, just as a kind of aside, but, you know, a counseling technique to help people who are trying to, you know, get a handle on um, emotions is that when you're starting to get angry, do things that make you engage your, mi- your the thinking part of your mind. And so, for example, count, you know, from 30 back to one, skipping ev- backwards, skipping every third number, you know, it, that immediately takes you away from that visceral response to, okay, that requires thought. Or find five things in the room you're sitting in that are your favorite color. You know, when you ask a question like that, it has that same effect, I would imagine, that all of a sudden, I, you know, I have this emotion and this kind of desire to rage, and I'm having to be, become reflective. And those are two emotions that are hard to carry at the same time. You're kind of either going to do one or the other. And when I think about this topic, I think there are really two things that need to happen. One, um, for us not to be tone deaf. So one, we need to be consumed by the message that we're declaring. So we need to be consumed by it in a good way. Like we we really need to linger and marinate in the message of the gospel. So that's mm. one. Um, so that our our face and our emotions are in line with you know the content of, that we're saying. And then two, uh, we really need to care about people. And if, if those two things are not there, then it's of course it's easy to just blast people because we're not marinating in the gospel, and we really don't care how people respond to things. So recently, I was in a Q&A at a conference, and someone asked um, the question, how do you, what do you think about these Christians who've built entire platforms and ministries, YouTube channels, um, book sales? They're quite popular. I mean, there's, there is a market for angry Christians. Um, what do you think about that? Well, I certainly didn't want to name names, but I just said this I think that what would help some of these people who come off as really angry is if they just had a person who does is far from God who doesn't have a relationship with God if they just had someone like that that they really longed to see them come to Saving Faith. If they had someone like that they deeply care about, they're trying to reach out to, who follows everything they do on social media, reads everything they says they say, and listens to all of their programs, if they had somebody like that, it would temper the way they talk about it. And the fact that they're not tempering what they say, I think could be um, a real insight into some other issues. So that's I could go down that rabbit trail for a long time. But for us as as Christians who are thinking about this, we need to care deeply about lingering in the gospel and loving people. And if we do those two things, we're on a good pathway towards not being tone deaf.
0: Mm. Dan, thank you so much. Reminds me of a conversation we had yesterday with Josh Sharif um, about his experience in his book, Stranger at Our Shore. So just remind mm. our listeners of that. All right, Dan, thank you as always so very much. What are you thinking about and how are you thinking about, um, the issues of the day? Do you have somebody in your life, um, who, about whom you deeply care, maybe for whom you're actively praying each and every day that God would, um, reach them, that God would woo them, that God would touch them, that they would have a God encounter. Are you representing Christ to them in ways that, um, honor Jesus? That's really what this conversation is all about, um, living into the reality of the one who is the very word of God himself, and then declaring him to others in ways that represent Christ, like literally represent Christ to others. Light and love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and joy and fellowship And yes, holding up um, the light of the reality of our sin and our brokenness. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen Laburge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.